Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, joystick wagglers. Can you believe it? We're nearing the end of Series 4 already. Feels like we've only just got here. And if you're one of our Patreon backers, you will have already heard that we are ending Series 4 at Episode 17. Kind of like as Dom says in Episode 17. We know the gore special is technically Episode 18, but we are saving that for its own special episode, which means it's now time for you to send in your feedback to the fourth series for the wrap-up episode. Tell us your thoughts on the series, your favorite challenges, your favorite celebrities, your least favorite moments, challenges, and celebrities. Tell us what you have made of this format change now that Dom is leading the charge. Send in your feedback as either an email or as an MP3 to feedback at underconsultation.com before October 19th, 2021. Now, let's get on with this week's episode. Greetings and welcome to Hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, hoping we don't get reviews of this show titled Voyage to the Bottom of the Ratings. I mean, in fairness, we're pretty much the only Games Master podcast, so we can be both top and bottom of the ratings at the same time. That being said, dispensing invaluable nuggets of wisdom, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 13th of December 1994, one day before my ninth birthday. Donkey Kong Country and Magic Carpet top the gaming charge, but it's all change in music and film as E17's fluffy jacket Christmas classic Stay Another Day tops the pops and Miracle on 34th Street tops the UK box office. He thinks you're Santa Claus. 
<laughs> I am. You know what? I know. Tell what? The secret. What secret? Santa Claus. I've known for a long time. He's not real. Says who? My mom. I am the parent. You are the friendly guy down the hall. They say that seeing is believing. <laughs> but the truth is, the world is held together by things you can't see. There really has to be something you want for Christmas. A house, a brother, and a dad. That's all I ever want. Now, we're going to space things out here because we get both of these as number ones for a while. Is it till the end of the year? Yeah, and there's not a huge amount to say about Miracle on 34th Street because it's, it's a remake and it's it's fine. Got Mara Wilson in it. It's got Richard Attenborough in it. It's all right, mate. Talking about the E17 song, Stay Another Day. I remember this song a lot because, yeah, it's that music video with those jackets and that thing. Did you know what the origin of this song is? I have always presumed, I've never looked into this song because um, I've never been that interested in, in finding out much about it, but I've always presumed, me and my wife have always presumed as well, this was not meant to be a Christmas song. And it then gets turned into a Christmas song by adding some jingle bells into it towards the end and just sort of throughout to be like, yeah, no, it's Christmas. Look, there's snow in the music video. Christmas, isn't it? It was their first ballad, and it was written by the band's lead songwriter, Tony Mortimer, and is about his brother who took his own life. Yeesh. Yeah, it was based on my brother's suicide and losing someone. What would you do if you had one more day with a loved one? It was all based on conversations I've had with my brother, and I was trying to change it into a love song about the end of a relationship. Eee, man. Merry Christmas. Yeah. And yet, to be honest, it does feel more relationshipy, like kind of, you know, breaking up or or moving away or some sort of stuff. But with the knowledge that that's what it was based on and then going back and listening to the song, and I'm like, mm, yeah, it still is very, very much that song, isn't it? I mean, the chorus goes, baby, if you've got to go away, which is not what I would, uh, it certainly wouldn't make me think it was written about someone's sibling. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's where it comes into trying to turn it into a love song. That's it, yeah. And you are absolutely bang on the button, though. Christmas bells were included towards the end of the song to appeal to the lucrative Christmas singles market. It worked. It was Christmas number one. It's still on Christmas albums now. It's on my Christmas playlist. They make bank off of this song every single year. But you mentioned that music video. Two music videos were made for this song. One without the jackets and one with them. Uh, one was kind of the standard band in a studio recording the song type jacket like that you get with Guns N' Roses on Sweet Child, The Who's Who Are You. Basically, it's like, oh, yes, we're a fly on the wall in the studio. Here's the band doing normal bad things and nothing is staged at all. And then, yeah, there's the white fur trimmed parkas and black leather jackets. Also, a woman in a dress and a veil, I guess, because meant to be about a relationship, not a deceased sibling. Yeah, I mean, this song is borderline what I do when it comes to podcast around at Christmas time, which is I just add in some sleigh bells into it just to be like, yeah, it's Christmas. So, um, and I add them in quite haphazardly as well. If you've ever listened to the Wrestle Talk podcast, the song was quite successful, obviously, not just with its legacy, but at the time, it also was an award winner. Tony Mortimer won a Novello Songwriting Award for the song. 
also got a nomination at the 95 Brit Awards for Best Single and topped the charts in five other European countries, as well as reaching the number one spot in Zimbabwe. It's a great song. I actually really like Stay Another Day. I'm not an E17 fan, but I do think this is a very, very good single. Over in the world of video games, Wario Woods is released on December 10th, but perhaps more uh, iconically, maybe, on December 9th in the arcades, Tekken is released. Oh man, now you want to talk about your next generations of video games and something that really, I mean, it shows up Virtua Fighter and I would argue it shows up Virtua Fighter 2 to a degree. Look at them characters. Look at them, mm-hmm. Luke. Oh, I know. I know full well. Yeah. In fact, actually, I met a chap over the weekend who is a pro Tekken player. He actually works in our office block. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so curious to see like the progression of Tekken throughout the run of Games Master. Tekken's never really been my bag, baby. I've always been Street Fighter, I've always been Mortal Kombat, less so on Tekken. But uh, the people that are into Tekken, uh, Laurie, who I work with, is very much into Tekken. Bloody love themselves the game. Oh, I knew I liked Laurie. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Street Fighter or a Tekken guy. I can play other fighting games. I can play your Mortal Kombats. I can play your Soul Edges and Soul Blades and other stuff like that. But yeah, Street Fighter and Tekken, Tekken 3 in particular. Oh, I did like Tekken 3. First Tekken I owned as an import as well. I got that full frame NTSC 60 hertz experience on the PlayStation. Mm. There were some good times. I didn't just get the American version. I got the Japanese version because I was a fucking hipster in the 90s, apparently. <laughs> the only Tekken game I've ever owned was Tag Tournaments. Maybe it's just because I'm a, I'm a lonely person, but I just don't get on with the team-based fighting games. Give me a one-on-one fighting game that's actually one-on-one. I mean, I do like King of Fighters and I do kind of like the marvel versus capcom team-based games but i'm I'm too much of an old stickler i want one-on-one games oh i love me some tag-based ones particularly marvel versus capcom 2 i'm gonna take you for a ride i absolutely love marvel versus capcom 2 oddly in wrestling games i'm a big fan of tag teams because then it's a proper tag team and you can structure it like an actual tag team match Mm. i think it's I don't know, maybe it's just too chaotic. I'm getting old, Luke. (laughs) Getting old. Getting old before your time. Um, Have we got anything in the magazine that we want to dive into before we get into the show itself? I just wanted to highlight that we have a review in here that caught my eye because, and given we are approaching Christmas, it's a Christmassy type game, sort of. It's a review of Snatcher on the Mega CD. Oh, cool. And it's worth mentioning just because this was a must-own game for the Mega CD. In fact, in English-language countries, this was really kind of a killer app because you couldn't play it any other way easily. Nope, this was the game to be getting. Even, like, as a collector now, you need to, you've been wanting to have Snatcher in your collection. And yes, people listening that watched me do streams last year, I will complete Snatcher, or in <laughs> fact just do a complete do-over on Snatcher on stream at some point. Because I was really enjoying playing it. It was frustrating as hell at times, as they point out in this review. Sometimes you have to look at an object several times to actually get the appropriate response out of it to continue the game forward. But it is the single must-buy adventure detective game for the Mega CD. In fact, I'd say it's just one of the single must-own games for the Mega CD at all. 
it's got great at the soundtrack but it's gorgeous the mm-hmm. the graphics have aged incredibly well in fact i would love to see an hd remaster and that remaster is just like kind of pixel quadrupling kind of like you know don't don't redo it. Don't do what they've done with some of the Phoenix Wright games or the other games where you get the hand-drawn style. Keep it as this. It is of its time. The look is brilliant. The style is brilliant. The sound is brilliant. And here in this review, graphics, 90%. Satisfyingly cyberpunky. More of a series of stills than the moving game, but it looks the business. 89% on sound. Tons of speech, including the hilarious Sean Connery impressions by the chief. Great atmospheric music as well. gameplay, play detective, find, deduce, solve, kill, what a combo. Lifespan, 88, a long game in every sense of the word, a very addictive adventure that will last for ages. Les, who's writing the review, says, I love Snatcher, not just the title, the whole game. I've always been a bit of a Sherlock on the quiet, so this is right up my street. A brilliant adventure that's actually interesting as well as addictive. He's not wrong, it is Mm -hmm. still an amazing game, to go back and play. And the only thing I'd say is don't necessarily worry too much about finding a legit copy of this one because the aftermarket price on it is fucking crazy. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much, man. Welcome to Games Master, where we have more tips than a betting shop, better reviews than a Scorsese film, nicer features than Pamela Anderson, and challenges tougher than a pair of leather pants soaked in salt water and left to dry in the sun. I was uh, really debating on whether I would use the better features than Pamela Anderson line as my opening gambits, but I couldn't find a, a way to really make it work. So I went with something different in the end. It was my second choice. You've got nicer eyes, mate. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, yeah, that's why I thought I'll, I've got better features than Pamela Anderson. What a what a what a statement of the time that is as well. Have you seen like the pictures for the uh, Pamela Anderson biopic? No. Also. There's a Pamela Anderson biopic. Yeah, with her and Tom, like of her and Tommy Lee's relationship. The pictures are insane. Oh, I've just seen Pamela Anderson slams biopic Pam and Tommy. She thinks it's cheap, god awful knockoff. First look at Sebastian Stan as Tommy Lee and Lily James as Pamela Anderson. Oh, it's a Hulu series. But look how much she looks like Pamela Anderson in those pictures. I mean, she does. I mean, the thing is, is I actually think if you look at it, a lot of Pamela Anderson's look that defined her was actually the makeup as well. Mm-hmm. Like the hair and the makeup. I mean, obviously there were curves and stuff like that, but it's the eyes that make me think she looks like Pamela in this picture I'm just looking at. Yeah. It's actually the smokiness around the eyes and the way the eyeshadow's been done. Like Sebastian Stan is a pretty passable Tommy Lee. Jumping ahead an episode, he looks like someone that could be a paid impersonator for Tommy Lee. Like yeah. close <laughs> enough that you might hire him for a party. Yeah. But yeah, man, Lily James as Pamela Anderson, it, they've done an incredible, incredible makeup job on that. Anyway. Anywho. Anyway, so that, that's basically the intro portion of this, talking about leather-soaked pants. Speaking of Tommy Lee, leather-soaked pants out with the dried sun. Soaked in salt water. I mean, really, all of this is for is just for him to knock over the domino rally that the goblins are trying to make. Absolute knob that he is. It's a really good looking domino rally as well. You do have to wonder how many takes did that did that go because they kept like it kept getting knocked over just by movement of the table or the fact the table was a little uneven or something. Well, let's get into our first challenge, and it's a little bit different. This one. What are we playing, Games Master? I've got something a bit special for you now. As we come on down and polish up our hotspots on the 3DO game show, Twisted. 
Contestants compete in three different puzzle games in this rather amusing contest, which should tax their tiny brains to the limit. So we have a gimmick here. We had Twisted reviewed a few weeks back, and the gimmick of that is that it's a game show. And so that game show has its own presenter. So what Games Master tries to do here is incorporate that into being the actual presenter of this challenge and then cut back to Dominic Diamond essentially just being there to hold the microphone. But then he also does the commentary for it as well. I think it was a good idea on paper. I don't think it quite works in execution. Yeah, it, it's a way to get around the fact that, look, you're lumbered with this guy in the game. You can't really work around him. Talking over him would be too messy because he's actually setting up the games. So what you end up with is kind of a hosting menage a trois between Dominic, Twink Fisdale, the host in Twisted, and Steve Merritt, who joins for the commentary portion, they do a nice job of kind of doing picture in picture and actually melding their footage with the game footage and basically building a coherent universe for the duration of this challenge. I commend them on it because nowadays this would actually be really, you could do this on Twitch and make it convincing. But in 1994, on the turnaround that they were on, it's pretty impressively done. There was a part of me that thought, because of the relationship that Games Master has with um, with Trip and you know EA and stuff, I thought to myself, when they said we're going to use Twink Fizdale to present, I was like, did they get like bespoke footage of Twink being a Games Master presenter? But no, it's not. It, it is just they use the footage that's already there. And I think they do a, a, a fairly decent job. I, I like it when they throw to the fake commercials. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> Thank you. Let's move on. Why don't we find out which of television's tortured talent will be playing this round of Twisted? Hi, I'm David, and I served in Vietnam. <laughs> great. Just great. And now, contestant number two... I'm Jason. I like clicks and small furry animals. Great! Now let's get twisted! But we do meet our contestants, and first we meet David, who apparently served in Vietnam, allegedly, and Jason, who likes collecting small furry animals. And I feel like there was a darker joke that went after that line, and they went, nah, let's cut it. Yeah, I, I mean, I got a bit of a giggle out of uh, David just going like, I'm David, and I served in Vietnam. <laughs> that was really funny. What he actually means is he once got served in a Vietnamese restaurant. Oh, I see what it's saying. Okay. Unless you've been living in Swindon, you can't have failed to have noticed that the PC seems to be taking over the world with over 160,000 units sold in the UK in one month alone. A recent survey by chip manufacturers Intel showed a multimedia PC to be one of the most covetable items in the UK, second only to a pair of nice comfortable pants. So kids everywhere are looking forward to playing great games, logging onto the net and generally ignoring girls and their academic careers. Now this PC section we get here in the news is very cool and it is very interesting. But the thing that popped me the most in all of this is the disc that they show of the lad putting into the PC was in Carter 1994. I loved Encarta. Encarta, basically Wikipedia before Wikipedia existed. Oh yeah. I remember doing homework at school and getting some of that information off of Encarta. It was been Encarta 95. Same. I also remember when, they don't show it here, but when CD drives, you had a caddy. You put the CD in, like a, a cassette, and then that went in. So it was almost like a giant disc drive. It was before trays occurred, you know, with trays oh, were man. a thing of the future. I had a, we had a tray on ours. I mean, we had trays eventually, but the first CD-ROM that I remember using in school, which I think would have still been Windows 3.1, 
that that was on before Windows 95. That was a kind of caddy that you opened up. It had a little flick switch on the front and then you put the CD inside and then that got inserted and there was still a mechanism involved, so I don't know why they did it. We've made jokes about the durability of CDs and stuff before. Maybe they were genuinely worried that it just wasn't going to be sturdy enough and that it needed a caddy to protect the surface of the disc because floppy disks had those protective shells around them. I mean, the floppy disk wasn't the plastic. It was the thin sheet of magnetic material on the inside. They were absolutely spooked by that Tomorrow's World segment. They were like, man, we need to protect these CDs at all costs. But yeah, this little feature... Which also, and this popped me, huge slam on Swindon. <laughs> yep, always. I'm, a, I'm from Reading, so I think I'm supposed to slam on Swindon as much as possible. Van Slough. No offence to Swindon, possibly offence to Swindon, but your train station, which I spent way too long stuck at because things kept breaking whenever I was commuting to and from London from Gloucestershire. Train station was kind of a shithole, and then you had the magic roundabout, and really, screw that thing. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about Eldritch Hovers like we did last week, you want to talk about Cthulhu, Lovecraft is tied into that magic roundabout somehow. You don't know how to navigate that, you just approach it and pray. Oh, it's nonsense. Nonsense. But anyway, PCs are taking over. 160,000 units sold a month in the UK alone. Intel conducted a survey which says it's one of the most covetable items in the UK. Of course they'd say that, it's Intel. They are literally making money off every single one sold. Because hey, guess what does it say, Luke? Intel inside. Bum 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 bum. And you had those little dancing guys in the suits coming up soon. Well, I was going to say, like this was you know, last week where we had Sega saying, hey, we've sold more 32Xs than Jaguars and 3DOs. Well, of course Sega are going to say that. Are you saying Sega would lie? I don't know. Sega of Europe, not known to, to lies, were they? But anyway... It's not the most covetable item in the in the UK right now. That, of course, would be a nice, comfy pair of pants. Probably not one soaked in salt water and left to dry in the sun. But kids can look forward to playing the latest games, logging onto the net and generally ignoring girls and their academic careers. That never happened, Luke, did it? No, it didn't. In fact, if anything, it bolstered, uh, A, my academic career, and B, talking to girls. Because you get once MSN Messenger rolls around, that's all I did of me evening. Now, were they girls or were they a guy called Chuck that was actually living in his parents' basement? Ah, they were girls from school. Oh, ah. Mm. So you verified they were actually girls and not Chuck living in his parents' basement. Oh, yeah. And asking me for credit card details. Or your dad's credit card details. Yeah, well, at the time, yeah. Speaking of things that will appeal to nerds, Luke. Steven Spielberg's Sequest DSV has rather uncharitably been redubbed Voyage to the Bottom of the Ratings by some critics. But if the storylines are a bit whiffy, the computer-generated effects are pretty impressive. The upcoming game from THQ takes full advantage of this, with computer models from the series directly incorporated into the game. Spielberg's effects company Ambling Imaging have their fingers in a number of other pies too, including the sequel to Jurassic Park and most recently the new Doctor Who TV series. This is an exclusive test shot of a Dalek. A Dalek? Come on, Stevie, my pants look more like a Dalek than this. I mean, we could talk about the Spielberg project. We could do. We could talk about that. We could talk about the THQ game. We could talk about all that. I want to ask you about this Doctor Who thing, Ash. Is this a legit Doctor Who thing, or is this just Dominic Diamond taking a piss? I honestly, I literally have research on this, but I already knew most of this crap off the top of my head. Let's quickly address the CSV elephant-shaped submarine in the room. CSV, it was a show. It ran for a number of years. It had Roy Scheider in it. It had uh, Ted Raimi was in it as well. And the dolphin was never a real dolphin. It was always a puppet or an animatronic. That I actually didn't realise until recently. I assumed they did use real dolphins in part. I mean, I'm sure some shots were a real dolphin, but the majority of them were the animatronic puppets, which I'm dead impressed by. Hmm. 
I don't think Sequest was actually that bad. It was hokey 90s sci-fi. It was pushing the environmental message a bit too strong. I can see why Spielberg got involved. Impressive early CGI. One of the first things I did a complete rewatch of on Netflix when Netflix first launched was Sequest DSV. I did a complete rewatch from pillar to post. It's bad, but it's not the worst genre fiction that I watched growing up. I'm looking at you, Thunder in Paradise. I was going to say, when Netflix first came into the UK, I did the whole rewatch of Power, uh, Power Rangers because it was up there. And I was like, well, this is what Netflix was for, right? It was for me to rewatch this show from the 90s. And I could probably say the same thing that you said about Sequest, in all fairness. I, I would genuinely love to talk more about Sequest. And hey, who knows? Maybe it's another under-consultation extra candidate. Maybe it's the podcast project that comes after Games Master. We do. I mean, to be honest, there aren't many untouched subject matters for podcasts and i haven't looked but i think sequest dsv probably doesn't have many podcasts about it out there for very understandable reasons but there is a tie to doctor who with sequest dsv because the eventual tv movie we got for doctor who that was made by fox and followed on from the spielberg involvement had a theme music recorded by john debney who won an emmy for the music he made for sequest dsv okay but moving on to this dalek This clip is very important. And I don't just mean the clip of the spider Dalek. I mean this clip, this Games Master clip, because until the special edition DVD and I think Blu-ray of the Doctor Who TV movie, this was the version of the clip of the spider Dalek that was banded around the internet, that screen grabs were taken from, that small AVIs, that big AVIs, that YouTube uploads, that animated GIFs, pretty much all of them was sourced from an off-air recording of Games Master. That's really cool. Someone may disagree with me on this, someone may have another source, but every single version I saw of this clip growing up as a Teen Doctor Who fan in the wilderness years and between 1996 when the TV movie appeared and when the show came back and when the DVD started to come out of the TV movie, they were pretty much all from Games Master that I could identify because they had the same noise, the same colour saturation, the same tracking mishaps. It was all from the same thing. And yes, Steven Spielberg was involved in a producer capacity with a potential reboot of Doctor Who. Now, this is 1994, going on 1995, and this is the first glimpse of a spider Dalek. Now, Dom says this isn't a Dalek, mate. And he's right. It's not a Dalek. It is a spider Dalek. And it was inspired by something called the Leakley Bible which was a 45-page new series document or production Bible that was produced by a guy called John Leakley in the early to mid-90s and was used to shop around Doctor Who to American studios and television networks. It was intended to be a complete reboot of Doctor Who. It was going to be a starting point of a new series. It was going to reinvent the mythology. It was going to reinvent the mythos. It was going to take elements of the British TV series The TARDIS remained. The Doctor remained. Other characters that existed in Doctor Who history, such as uh, Rassilon and Barusa, you know, highly regarded Time Lords, also would appear. And bizarrely, something which actually did get incorporated into other Doctor Who fiction along the line, the Doctor was going to be the son of someone called Ulysses. Yes, (laughs) that Ulysses. They really did a lot to kind of build a complete coherent universe, And the byline of the show was, a ruggedly handsome young Time Lord named the Doctor discovers that he is the long-lost son of the great explorer Ulysses, but not before the Master becomes the Lord President of Gallifrey. 
the Doctor must travel with the spirit of Barusa, so kind of a force ghost essentially, and find his long-lost father to restore the balance of peace across the universe. So they weren't just going into this going, it's the Doctor, he lives in the TARDIS, he gets in adventures. They were going for long-form storytelling. They were Mm. going, no, there is a saga to be told here. There were a couple of different adaptations of existing stories, including Genesis of the Daleks, a Dalek story, which is where some of the concept drawings of the Daleks and the spider Dalek would come from. They wouldn't be the only monster to get reinvented. The Cybermen would become a new race of galactic pirates called the Cybes. You want to talk 1994? There's 1994. I hope that's with a Z. No, it's not. It is just C-Y-B-E-S. That's that's why the show didn't get picked up. Clearly. But Amblin, at a point when Spielberg was involved in a production-type role, did some test footage, including taking some of those illustrations that were in the Leakly Bible and making some test footage. That test footage appeared on Games Master, but would also then, as I said, eventually appear on the DVDs and Blu-rays. So yeah, this is entirely legit. This is entirely a thing. And it is so cool that it's in our timeline because I think it's the most enthusiastic I've gotten to be about Doctor Who on the show so far, because normally it's kind of like, it's not all shit. Obviously, I don't know. Uh, as has been you know, made mention of on this show many times before, I've never seen uh, a Doctor Who properly. Um, uh, can I hazard a guess uh, that the, the reaction to Spider-Dalek has not been a positive thing uh, to be like a, I can't believe you changed that sort of reaction? Like anything involving Doctor Who, reaction was mixed. Some people loved it. Some people thought it was cool. Some people thought it was terrible. I don't know that Spider Dalek was ever going to be only Dalek. Mm. By this point in original continuity, there were already different types of Daleks. They had different appendages, one of which was just a giant gun, and it was called the Special Weapons Dalek, and it appeared in one story, but it's iconic. It was part of the 25th anniversary celebrations. And the comics, they introduced kind of like other types of Daleks, different shaped heads, uh, flying discs, flying Daleks. You know, it, in the mainstream TV canon, they were kind of protected. And to be honest, a lot of that was probably budgetary. They could mm-hmm. afford to replace an egg whisk. They couldn't afford to do a complete new cast every time one came out. In fact, some of the Dalek props from the 70s were still being used in 1989. They weren't the main Dalek. They actually started a Dalek Civil War thing that went on and on and still technically exists in Doctor Who today. But yeah, they were never against the idea of kind of reinventing and doing new things with the Daleks. So a spider Dalek, why not? And eventually it would actually get introduced into not mainstream canon, but book canon. There was a Paul McGann featuring book called War of the Daleks that introduced the spider Daleks. Whilst this was originally pitched for a series that would eventually turn into the pilot TV movie starring Paul McGann, which never went to series, his Doctor would eventually encounter the spider Daleks. Mm -hmm. I'm finished now. (laughs) Well, I I assumed that you would have some things to say about that because my notes were like, when it came up with, you know, it's a brand new uh, Doctor Who TV series with Steven Spielberg, I was like, either this is a real thing or it's Dominic Diamond taking the piss out of something. So I'm going to ask Ash, because he'll be the man to know. No, no, this was entirely serious. And in fact, the only real kind of bittersweet note, other than we never got to see a Spielberg Doctor Who show, because man, it could have been a complete fucking car wreck. The The Leakly Bible is an interesting document. I've got a PDF of it. At the point when this went out, he'd actually been kicked off the project a couple of months earlier. Mm. So this footage was already 
kind of redundant at this point because while Leakley's Bible would still kick around for a while, he wasn't on the scene anymore. In fact, one of the issues that some of his ideas, including the spider Dalek met, is they were considered too serious and too dark. They were looking for a mainstream genre kind of like 6, 7 p.m. action. Sequest DSV. Thunder in Paradise. Oh, God, no. See, I was still <laughs> I was still enthusiastic about it until you said that. Until they cast Hulk Hogan as Doctor Who. I'm a Time Lord, brother. Gotta get those Daleks, brother. What you looking at, Sibes, dude? Okay, you know what, Luke? We're <laughs> going to make that alternate universe Doctor Who audio series, and you are going to play the Doctor as Hulk Hogan. That will be our 500 Patreon. <laughs> but yeah, so very bittersweet, but absolutely amazing to see in this timeline and knowing as well that this was the source for so many years. That is that's really cool, actually. As the National Lottery enters its second month, you may be feeling you're never going to get your hands on all that indirect taxation. Help us at hand with Just Lotto, a PC application that attempts to predict the next series of winning numbers by analysing the previous weeks. Just Lotto costs around 20 quid and comes with a free t-shirt bearing the slogan, I am a complete buck and will believe anything. Hey, it's very difficult for it to be you. And often or not, it's never could be you. But there is this uh, application that you can get, Just Lotto, that's I mean, it says predicts the lottery numbers. What I imagine it does is just give, it's a random number generator. And I think from what I can understand, because there are still variants on this app around today, is it tries to do math. Exactly, yeah. It looks at the numbers that have appeared and it works out based on how many times they have or haven't appeared, looks for patterns probability it's fucking tea leaves in the bottom of a cup mate it's exactly it's a random selection of numbers you would have this may as well be a random number generator although it is really really weird how some numbers do turn up in the lottery like i know it's random and i actually played the lottery for my birthday this year i thought nah sod it i'll spend a fiver i'll choose one set of numbers and four lucky dips and that was when i discovered that the lottery now costs two pound a line to play because suddenly i'd spent a tenner <laughs> But man, do you remember when the National Lottery was new? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely I do. I mean, we've talked about this in our own timeline here because we had Bad Boys Inc. on the very first episode of the National Lottery. We talked about the ad campaign of It Could Be You. It, it's it's wild to think that it's, it's I remember it. Like the on TV, on the news. The National Lottery is coming to the UK and, and all this sort of stuff. It was crazy times. It was the second attempt. There was another attempt at doing a National Lottery type thing in 88, and that was cancelled due to some legal problems. But then John Major, boring guy that he is, he, he helped it go ahead, setting it up under a government licence in 93, franchised to the Camelot Group. And then that first draw took place 19th of November 1994, hosted by Noel Edmonds. Those first numbers were 33, 5, 44, 14, and 22 with a bonus of 10. Seven winners shared £5.8 million. Well, there you go. That's the second interesting thing I've heard about John Majors. The other being he's not very good at wind jammers. Spoilers, mate. Spoilers. To be honest, there are predictors out there that do exactly the same thing, but they do it on sponsored websites, so you're just looking at ads. And also, they don't just have a month's worth of data. They've got 25 years' worth of data to base their extrapolations on. And it's still, may as well just tick lucky dip. And now, back to the game. 
Okay, so helping me make this challenge a veritable presenters, Orgy is Stephen Merritt from Mean Machines. Steve, I've just noticed the two challengers' names are David and Jason. That's David Jason. That's perfect, Dom. It's completely unbelievable. Um, Steve, what do you think about this twink bloke who's helping us out? Well, it's the fine selling a mother can love and one that's destined for radio, really. Ooh. Well, Steve Merritt is in the booth for our commentary here. However, they are just a little bit distracted because their players are called David and Jason, which is the same as that TV actor, David Jason, off the telly. Man, this is proper spooky. Looks like a case for Mulder and Scully, Luke. Are we in the Twilight Zone? Or maybe it's for Hulk Hogan's doctor to investigate. I can't believe, actually. So we're watching Games Master here. This is the third time in four series we have got, and actually the second time in a handful of episodes where we've got a grid shifting around game to play. Yeah, but this one uses cheaper public domain footage. Yeah, and so David is up first and he has got this sussed and has it done and then for whatever reason can't move the middle two. I was trying to work out whether he thought he'd done it or he couldn't, like he was clicking the buttons and they weren't registering what he was trying to do. I think he thought he'd done it because there was a moment where it looked right. Yeah. Where it looked completed. I think it was like that one challenge we had where the person just stopped moving because they thought they'd completed it and they needed to run through the exit, except he didn't realise it in time. And yeah, he kind of just biffs it right at the end. He makes way for Jason, and boy, Luke, Twink is excited by this. Are you as excited as I am? He is a little bit, isn't he? And do you know what, Jason? He's not half bad at this. You've got 30 seconds to do this. With 12 seconds to go, he's got it done. Smashed it, he did. Well, this clip is much more up Dom's alley, featuring as it does some lovely ladies doing some dancing, and maybe it was those alluring legs that helped him finish quicker. And that's when we get them throwing to the the fake commercials that appear within the game. While you're doing that, we'll take a quick twisted commercial break. Invisible dog toys, what is it? Absolutely nothing. Just grab a hunk and throw it. Dumb mutt not included. Marital problems? Call me. I'll liquidate your marriage and your finances. I was wondering, like, do I also put some ad breaks in at this point here? But I don't think I'm going to, unless I can think of some fun, like, fake adverts to put in. But uh, yeah, it, it is... I, I kind of like the way that it's structured and actually it breaks up the sort of monotony of doing the, the the three different challenges. Yeah, it really reminds me of actually the bits in Jackbox games that mm. we get now is where you get the little bits of dialogue from the various hosts and stuff like that in the various games. And it's definitely, I think, would be more fun to play than it is to watch, but it's not it's not too bad. However, when we get into our second game here, both David and Jason have the exact same tactic. It's one of those ones, you know, Mario 3, where you've got to flip over the cards and remember what the cards are. That's what they're doing here. Only they have no tactics to it. They just both are just turning them over at random things and then just trying to remember. And as a result, both of them run out of time doing it. Steve Merritt is like yelling at them with the advice being like, go row by row. Like, try at least. I know they immediately criticize them for not like applying a method to this game but in the time it takes them to criticize them for not doing that david matches three pairs it's actually only later that he biffs it yeah and it's remarkable you'd think you'd have thought the later it went the easier it would be to be that erratic i think he was struggling with the 3do controller a bit because it seemed like he meant to be going right and instead would go diagonal or the other way round i actually wonder was he trying to move diagonally rather than go down and across 
And maybe the game just wasn't very forgiving when it came to diagonal moves. It's like, no, you've got to move down and then left, or you've got to move up and then right. We're not letting you skip diagonally like that. I mean, he's not the only one having problems with that joypad because Jason bloody drops it later. Speaking of Jason, he sits down for his go. And if he wins this one, he will take the whole challenge. And he applies the exact same lack of tactics and has the exact same result, which is he runs out of time with one set left to pair. And as the ringer ringer rosy again, we'll take another twisted commercial break. Ladies, forget the guesswork. Let Stud Finder find your stud. Use sewer scented get lost deodorant. One lift of your arm and they'll stay away for good. And so we get into our final game. And again, it's like Mario 3, where you've got to try and line up the pictures and things like that. Although Dominic Diamond threatens to smack David if he doesn't get this one right. Now, I will say in this one, there are actually over 200 faces that the game can choose from. So actually, that's got quite a bit of replayability. You wouldn't easily complete this one. Basically, it, it would get boring pretty quickly, but it wouldn't get samey, is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like David absolutely nails this. He does it in seven seconds. I think he got a little bit lucky, actually, but the way that they were laid out for him, because Jason just can't get it done. He he matches up two of them, but he can't get the third. So he then unscrambles them again. Like for no matter what he does, he cannot get it right. And again, runs out of time. Oh dear, which means that David is the actual challenge winner. Okay, now um, I just feel I should owe you a slight bit of an explanation, Jason. The reason that we gave that one to David is the challenge you completed successfully. You took longer, 15 seconds, and David only took seven seconds. So you're a bit unlucky, I have to say. Where did it go wrong for you? Um, I think it was the uh, middle puzzle there. I should have got that one. So one more left to get. Wasn't quick enough on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as for you, David, um, I'm tempted to say fluky, but uh, was it was it a fluke that last one? Oh no, I was saving myself for last. <laughs> it's like a sort of Arsenal last minute equaliser, wasn't it? Yeah. Scored by in right. Yeah, which is a bit a bit typical. And all that means David is the winner. So like Dom explains that David won because they both won a challenge each. But David did his quicker. And remarkably, Jason doesn't go, well, hang on a tick. Jason blames himself for not winning because he's like, in fairness, I should have won the second game. I mean, this makes about as much sense as the, uh, as the Mario All-Stars challenge. Yeah, it, it, it seems very unfair for David to win the joystick here. Really does. I mean, I know they were both, they both failed two and won one. But it's, yeah, it, just, it doesn't seem fair that, that, that David gets the win. I mean, even Dom doesn't seem entirely happy with it because when it comes to talking with David, Dom uses the word fluky, which David disagrees with, saying he was saving himself for last. I like that answer. And Dom's just like immediately picks up on the football shirt he's wearing, going, ah, an Arsenal last minute equaliser. And David's fairly quick on this one, going, yeah, scored by Ian Wright. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, it was a tie. In, a, in the situation of a tie, maybe they both should have had the golden joystick, got one each. Maybe they should have just been sent into the cage. Yeah, thrown into the cages. They were bad at some aspects of the game. Actually, they were terrible at some aspects of the game and okay at some other aspects of it. I, I think it was unfair for David to get the joystick. But the challenge wasn't as boring as it could have been. And I, I think, yeah, as I said, like the, the, I, the concept that they had of integrating the twisted game show into their own game show was great on paper. And I think they fully got it in execution. However, the way that they did it did make it much more exciting. Oh, not exciting, but it made it much more entertaining to watch. First up, Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel, a hot contender for smart game title of the year. 
For those of you that have got Aero the Acrobat, um, you're going to find this game very similar. Zero it uses the same sort of like level layout, if you will. Um, the only real difference that he has over Aero is that he can do a double spin. It does have some nice sub games. At one point, you get to go on a speedboat, which is a really nice little touch. However, graphically, it's gorgeous, but it doesn't really offer anything over Aero the Acrobat. This is very, very standard platform fare. There's really not much to do. I mean, it's, it's something that seems to have been made about a year ago, and it really doesn't deserve your attention. Hey, do you like Aero the Acrobat? Here's a game that's basically the same, only not as good. 81% is essentially the summary of this review. Hey, do you remember that rival from Aero the Acrobat? Wouldn't it be great if you could play as him in a game that's almost exactly the same? Because, yeah. That's what Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel is. If Sonic's a knuckled it. Yeah, it is a little bit. And it's, uh, it, you know what? The, Tim has got the killer line in this one um, for its 81%, which actually is a fairly, it was a pretty good score, actually. But Tim is the one with the damning praise of just like, it feels like it was made a year ago and does not deserve your attention. And actually, when you kind of look at the world that we are in, that Games Master is certainly presenting to us with, ridge racer and virtual fighter and creature shock and all this sort of stuff yeah this does feel like something that should have been released in 1993 i do like the origin of the character though because apparently while david siller was drawing and designing the concept art for aero the acrobat his son came up with the concept for what would become zero the kamikaze squirrel so i kind of dig that there's a kind of a father-son thing and especially because he drew up his son's ideas presented them to Sunsoft and Sunsoft were like yeah all right we'll give that a shot yeah and it took them a year but the game came out and to be honest the score here isn't terrible I mean 81% it looks nice it looks like a perfectly fun platformer and if you like Terro the Acrobat you will probably like this next up simultaneous two-player doom type Mega Drive action ahoy with Bloodshot Basically, each mission is roughly the same. You have to make your way to the center of a maze, destroy a guardian boss, and then things go haywire and you have to escape before the level you're on blows up. The graphics aren't up to much. Sort of like Zero Tolerance as well, but um, I'd say that Zero Tolerance was a better game because you could actually link up physically two Mega Drives to each other and play it on two different screens. Unfortunately, if you really want to, a good into-the-screen shoot em up and wander around 3D em up, um, you want to wait for 32x Doom. Okay, you're going to have to shell out for the 32x hardware, but it's going to be worth it because Doom is the game in this genre and nothing can touch it, especially on the Mega Drive. My favourite bit of this Bloodshot review is, again, it actually comes from Tim. And the reason that I love it is because the term first-person shooter doesn't exist, apparently. We aren't in a world yet where FPS is, is, the, is the used term. So he calls it an into-the-screen shoot-em-up slash 3D-em-up, which I thought was a fascinating little, like, time capsule of how we used to describe these games. I mean, I imagine even if you'd started to get into the idea of something being first-person from a perspective, you'd be thrown off by seeing this on the Mega Drive. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised that this was on the Mega Drive, to be honest. It looks pretty rad for a, on the Mega Drive. It's not on the 32X, this. No, Mega Drive and Mega CD in Europe, but interestingly, it didn't get a traditional North American release. You remember that Sega Channel service we talked about? Oh, yeah. That's how this game made its appearance. 
yeah, that comes as no surprise to me. And I'll be honest, a line in this that has aged like a fine murder is Tim saying that you might as well wait for Doom on the 32X because Doom on the 32X is bad. And if this is not as good as Doom on the 32X, oh boy. Yeah, I mean, he says it is Doom is the game in this genre, and it is the game in this genre, but the 32X is not that version. No, absolutely not. The version that the SNES gets is way better than the 32X version. The version that the Jaguar gets is better than the 32X version by a country mile. So much so, even without the music. 32X port is so janky and horrible. But yeah, I I would like to play this at some point just because as a technical curio goes, this one's up there. It's no doom, but the fact it exists at all, that's something. Finally, Wolverine in Adamantian Rage. Adamant gets a bit angry about his recent lack of chart success and failing acting career. Basically, it's a platform game where you get to control Wolverine and run around and kick everyone in. Um, it's the, the sprite's too small, I think, and it just like doesn't play very well either. Of course, this is not the first attempt to recreate a Marvel character on the Mega Drive or the SNES. And in fact, just like the others, it doesn't succeed. I'm still waiting for a really good superhero license on any of the consoles. You might actually be better off trying something like Spider-Man and the X-Men, which features a lot of the same characters and a virtually identical gameplay, albeit with smaller sprites. This isn't bad, but it's not really worthwhile. Marvel have never had it. They didn't have a great 16-bit run, unfortunately. They had a lot of games that came out on the 16-bit consoles, but they never really had that huge, big hitter. And X-Men in particular never had a really, really great 2D platforming game, which you'd think they'd be tailor-made for. And Spider-Man and the Mega Drive is pretty good, but it has not aged very well. And it's a shame that this is a solo Wolverine game, and it's out in 1994. Had this come out in 1992, 1993, maybe it would have been looked on a bit more fondly. But here in 1994, it seems a bit old hat, and that's a real shame. I mean, pretty much one of the better games I can think of, or certainly one that I remember more fondly, is Maximum Carnage. Yes, that's a good one, yeah. We're basically just like Streets of Rage, but with Spider-Man. Although I do appreciate the beginning of this, probably the best bit of this review is a bit of a poke at Adamant, who at this point was trying to kind of kickstart his acting career again. In fact, I remember him turning up in an episode of Northern Exposure, which is probably a show I would have been watching late on Channel 4 at this point. So I guess turns around, comes around. Although in that show, he's kind of playing himself. It took me a little while to put why he was talking about Adamant. And I was like, oh, Adamantium. Yeah, yeah. That's actually yeah. very, it's very good. It's possibly a bit too smart for nine-year-old Luke, but I'm oh, glad yeah. adult Luke got there. Yeah, adult, and even then, it took me a little while to get there. 74% for Wolverine, Adamant, Adamantian Rage, which I think is... I'm amazed that... I still find it shocking that Zero got 81%, because uh, I would have thought that, that that's the sort of level that I would have thought this would be at. Well, that's enough reviews. Let's get into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? The second challenge of the proceedings is on the PC racing game, Supercars. Our challenger will have to prove his driving skills by being first across the finishing line in the three-lap race. Nitro power-ups are available for those who know how to use them. But remember, only first position will earn my grudging respect. Ooh, a PC game. I know, it looks pretty cool as well. It's Mario Kart, but with humans. Human Kart. And it's actual karts. And it was presented kind of relatively straight, I guess. Uh, you Basically, your, your character choice was based on different countries. Interestingly, this is an early version we're seeing because it didn't get a commercial release until 1995. 
When reviewed, it got positive reviews. Next Generation gave it 4 out of 5 stars, saying that it offers a perfect blend of strategy and arcade action. Mm. It does look pretty good. It looks pretty fun. Boy, howdy, do we have a racing celebrity to play and an entirely appropriate one as well. We've got current Formula One racer, but previously a kart racer in his own right, David Coulthard. Now, David, uh, this is a karting game we're playing tonight, but you began your career on the go-karts. What's the difference between racing the go-karts and the Formula One cars? Well, the main difference is really about 150 miles an hour. It's obviously <laughs> karts you can go up to about 50 or 60, but yeah. you know, other than that, the uh, driving style is the same, it's just the, uh, the technology involved. Uh -huh. And then there's been a, a lot of talk in Formula One these days about which is better. Is it, is it the car or is it the actual driver? What would you say? Well, a car can't go quickly without a good driver any more than a, car, a, a driver can uh, go quickly without a good car. So you need both. Yeah. But, of course, when you get the both combinations together, yeah. you get a fantastic situation. So if I was in a Williams-Renault and you were in a Skoda, you'd probably still win? I think you'd probably win because the <laughs> Williams-Renault is a lot quicker. But, uh, you know, you need both equipment and the driver. Yeah, yeah David Coulthard is a really cool get. Uh, for this you know he becomes a huge huge name in the world of f1 and stuff and he looks like he's having a lot of fun here and dominic's having a lot of fun with him as well and i think that it really helps by the fact they're both scottish so dominic like instantly warms to him absolutely i mean you talk about his f1 career competed in 15 seasons between 1994 and 2008 13 gp victories 62 podium finishes that's uh that's a fair old achievement oh, yeah. over that period of time yeah, he does very, very well for himself. Like, I think of the 90s, like, if you were to ask people on the street, like, name race, name Formula One stars of the 90s, he would be in the top five, uh, name said. Absolutely, and he started young. I mean, we're doing karts in the challenge here. He started karting when he was 11 years old. His dad presented him with his first kart for his birthday. Man, that's a birthday present. Isn't indeed. I struggled to get Earthworm Jim on the Mega Drive. You know, his career got off to a pretty good start. He won local karting championships, including the Scottish Junior Kart Championship and the Scottish Kart Championship. He then started to move south, competing in other events across uh, the United Kingdom. He then made the transition in 1989 from karting to car racing, and he also became the first recipient of the McLaren Autosport Young Driver of the Year Award, which allowed him to test drive a McLaren F1 car. So ooh, that's where we got the bug. Mm -hmm. We go on to the interview and I love Dom just going, what's the difference between Formula One racing and go-karting? And Coulthard's immediately back with, well, you know, about 150 miles an hour. He's really good in this. Because, you know, because Dom asks the very serious question of like, is it the driver or the car? And I think David gives a very good answer to it, which is like, hey, without a good driver, the car is useless. But without a good car, the driver is useless. Like it's, it's a very measured, sensible response for someone who's you know, fairly early in his career there. And then Dominic goes to the easy 90s joke of the time, the Skoda. Yeah, I mean, nowadays you see a Skoda and you're just like, oh, it's a Skoda. It's a Skoda. In the 90s, oh, in you're the like, ugh, a Skoda. Oh, mate, if you had a friend like at school whose parents had a Skoda, they'd be getting dropped off down the road. It's so much so that the Skoda was the punchline of the car world that Skoda like, almost had to rebrand themselves. They had an advertising campaign towards the end of the 90s into the 2000s, which was just like, we are not a joke. Please do take our car seriously. Yes, well, I've had my eye on one, you know, for a while. Wonderful car. Wow, you made a choice. Was what car, car of the year? Exactly, yes, exactly. And it's good value, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, you've done the comparisons with the other mate. Oh, yes, very favourable. <laughs> Some people still have that negative thing about Skodas. 
You'd know, rather spend more money on a worse car, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. That's what it is. It's ridiculous. Like in good, in good spirit and stuff, being like, it was almost like a whisper campaign. It was like, have you heard? The Skoda's good now. Yeah, you know that adage of there's no such thing as bad publicity? Skoda is the example that actually there is because, man, they got a drubbing. It's so funny to look back now how they were a whipping boy. I think, you know, like Top Gear certainly didn't help anything. But it just felt like everyone was taking pot shots at them. I do like Dom's, like, kind of the way which he brings them up. He's going, all right, okay, so if I was in an F1 car and David, you were in a Skoda, you'd still win. And David's like, no, of course, of course I wouldn't. You'd be in an F1 car. I'd be in a fucking Skoda, you muppet. <laughs> I mean, David might actually still win if Dom just immediately leaps to 150 miles an hour and goes headfirst into a barricade. That's it. You've got to hope that he's not going to be able to control that car particularly well. Okay, then. Uh, while David and I have a quick pit stop, get a little toilet trip in there, we'll take a quick break. For those of you who haven't won the lottery, you can save £21p per pound on Tesco Empire apples this Christmas. Live it up with a saving of £1.50 per pound on sirloin steak. Go mad with a hundred pennies off Tesco raspberry pavlova. Oh, all right, it's not quite the same, but it is a total saving of £2.71. More than enough for this Tesco Christmas pudding. Tesco. Every little helps, don't you think? I do. Honestly. John, remember me. The past is one thing you can do nothing about. I have lost my memory. I do not know who I am. Whatever else you may care to give me is a personal transaction between you and me. Filth. Secret Friends. Film on 4 premiere Tuesday at 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Citizen of Britain, you're among the first to hear splendid news. Yes, Mercury still guarantee home phone users savings on all UK long distance and international calls seven days a week. 
With Mercury fighting to bring calling costs down, you, the customer, can't fail to benefit. These are exciting times. Cheerio! What should we get Michael? A Timex Indiglo Iron Man watch. Pardon? A 16-hour stopwatch, a water resistant to 100 meters. And Lisa? A 35mm Minolta camera. Automatic focus, automatic flash. Fully automatic. So, it's automatic? Yes, but you do have to be there. And what about Dad? A Philip shaver with sideburn and moustache trimmer. And how about Mum? The same. Very clever. You just have to know where to look. Oh dear. For a whole catalogue of answers, Argos takes care of it. Witness the film that triggered a revolution in the heart of England. Rejoin the club. I'm a diabolical player. I kid myself I enjoy it. I don't really, I hate the game. A golf club provides an opportunity for a disappointed man to achieve some kind of prominence. Ladies never really have an equal status. You've been highly offensive to the directors and secretaries not behaviour becoming of a gentleman. Cutting Edge at the club, Monday at 9 on 4... Welcome back. Our special guest tonight, this Formula One star, David Coulthard. He's about to pit his skills on supercars. Brad Burton from Amiga Action is helping me out. Brad, any tips for David? Yeah, well, what David's going to do is keep out of black, in the red, you don't get nothing for two in the bed. Uh, no, Brad, I think that's bullseye. Sorry, mate, miles away. Now, what he's going to do, not look at the billboards, get a racing line, keep to it, and use those nitros, and use them well. Brad Burton is in the booth here, who is incredibly fidgety. He cannot stand still. He makes a pretty good bullseye joke, and then Dominic has to remind him that we're not on bullseye. And the only reason that I'm bringing up that he is fidgety is because when we get into the actual challenge itself, that is not Brad Burton doing color commentary. I mean, if it is, it sounds nothing like Brad Burton. When you like think about how Brad Burton sounded during the Street Racer challenge, now he sounded like during the other challenge he's done color commentary for that. Whoever that man is 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 not Brad Burton. And it's definitely re-recorded audio because it sounds completely different from everything else. And it almost and like he says nothing. He only has like two lines in it. And it feels like it's done that way on purpose. And it feels like it's someone else doing it. The bullseye joke at the beginning is a cracker. It's a great joke. Really, really funny. And there is clearly a day where they recorded all of the challenges which had Brad as a commentator because he's wearing the same outfit. And I, I, I think if I got all of those challenges as separate video files, I could put them in chronological order by his energy levels and coherency. Yeah. We get him on another challenge in a couple of episodes time. And you can tell that the take they used was just the best one they got because he's trying to get a sentence out about the gameplay and he kind of, he, he, he trips over his own tongue and Dom's just like, yeah, we get it. Yeah. It's fine. And again, we're not punching down on this one because we know Brad's had his demons and he's had his issues, but woo, they are on display here, I think. That, or he was just very nervous. Could be either, but there definitely is something not quite right. Because you've brought this up before in previous episodes, and I hadn't spotted it, but I really spotted it here, the fidgetiness that he's got, not being able to like keep himself still. And it was just, I, found, I thought it was like so noticeable that he doesn't sound like Brad Burton in commentary. It almost sounded like it was someone doing an impersonation of Brad Burton. From young Scott, but he grapples with the boarding at the side. They're not what you're supposed to do, Brad. It's not going to take him too wide, Dominic. The head of him is doing remarkably well, but no, someone's nipped into the inside there, pushing back to four, but he overtakes his back up in the thumb, Brad. This is going well for well, David. He's all over the place, Dominic. It's all over the place. Okay. I may be completely wrong. I may be completely off base with this. Maybe we'll find out when the book arrives. But like the, the challenge itself, the other thing to note about this game is 
when you compare this to, say, Mario Kart or Street Racer, which Brad Burton also did commentary for, funnily enough, they've got very cartoony faces. So when they are in like the position that they're currently in, you can see where, like, if someone changes position, you can easily see that they have changed position up and down in this and the other. Because these are real people and they're like digitized faces, it's very hard to see which one David is. So what Games Master does is it has a big white arrow put onto the screen that moves up and down with him to, to translate to you, the viewer at home, where he's currently placing. He does pretty well off the bat. Like, he leaps up a few places immediately, but then he slips back into seventh. It's said by Brad, and I agree with him, his racing line is all over the place. All over the shop. He's driving into the walls more than he is the, uh, the track itself. He is taking every corner badly. And it was interesting to see him actually playing this with a control pad. There weren't many control pads out there for the PC at this point. Like he gets up to third just as the final lap starts and then just falls back again into fifth, then into sixth, and the challenge is over. It's unfortunate. I don't know quite where he went wrong, but he went wrong. It is a real shame because, you know, last week we had Stars and Stripes WCW, The Patriot, and Marcus Bagwell, and they were really entertaining on the mic. They were a lot of fun, and they were pretty good on the game as well, and therefore it made for one of the better celebrity challenges we've had in a while. Here, I feel like this should have been just as good, and it's not. It's not really, is it? I don't know how many goes they gave him at the game, put it that way, but I do wonder, again, much like some of Brad's stuff, was this the best take that they had? Yeah, it's a shame. This should have been an all-time classic. This should have been a great early outing for PC gaming on Games Master. Should have been a great moment for David. It didn't really come together. I mean, he got up to third place at one point, but then he hit a corner and he was just going into them all wrong. This this challenge is on this episode because later on in this episode, we find out that Games Master is offering like a download service where you can download demos and things like that. And that's what this week's demo is. It's this game. I don't know if this is the best advert for you to to download the demo of it. Aside from the fact that it looks cool, and maybe you could be at home thinking like, well, I would definitely do better than David Coulthard did. Now, David, you got a great start, but we, we sort of expected that, that you'd go off quick. But then, then what went wrong? I made the classic mistake. Too quick into the corners and running wide, and they all passed me again coming out. And that was a problem. Set up of the car, was that all right, though? I think there was some other team playing with my car before the start because it didn't feel so good in the race, but there you go. Not mentioning any words. Benetton or anything? Well, yeah, I think it could well have been Benetton, yeah. (laughs) I think it's post-match, he knows the mistake he made as well because it's a tactic that you would apply to go-karting to F1. You need your lines for the corners. And he says he went into them too quick, he got overtaken coming out. Also, he thinks another team was tinkering with his car before the start. Poor, bold accusation there. Probably Benetton, though, wasn't it? Oh, definitely. It's Dominic at the end that made me laugh when he's like, it pains me to do this because you're Scottish. (laughs) It's like Dominic's like, I want to give you a free pass because we're from the same country. However, that was quite bad. So I have to give you the black flag. Doesn't send him into the cages, gives him a black flag. They must have been prepared for that eventuality. Because they had a black flag on hand. Yeah, Goblin comes in waving it to take him off stage. Very good. I enjoyed that a lot. Games Master, I want to become an all-powerful Time Lord. Grant me my wish. Time travel. Let me see. Okay, how about this cheat for the new version of the classic game Pitfall? On the Temple of Copan level, near the beginning, you will see a gargoyle. Travel up from here... And when you reach the level above the blocks, go left 
and you'll reach a platform with a door on it. Enter the door. Inside, go up and travel right to reach a magic portal. You will be warped back in time to 1982 to an exact replica of the original Pitfall game as it first appeared on the Atari 2600 12 years ago. Ah, those were the days. Oh, thank you, great one. But our first kid is looking to be the Hulk Hogan in the, T uh, the Doctor Who reboot and be an all-powerful Time Lord, brother. And Skatesmaster can't quite give him that, so he gives him how to get the original Pitfall in the new Pitfall game, which is what we heard about earlier, uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's a interpretation <laughs> of the phrase Time Lord? Yeah. This is a weird one, because the kid does, yeah, he just says, I want to be an all-powerful Time Lord. He doesn't mention a game. No. Almost like, was this a leftover Dalek attack clip? Were you looking for, like, infinite lives? Because didn't we get that hint on Dalek attack? We did indeed, yeah. And I, I wonder if it's just, like... Because it feels like, you know, in Aladdin, when Jafar's like, I want to be an all-powerful genie. Like, it almost felt like, like he's looking to have a, a wish granted. Then Games Master would be like, well, I can't give grant you that wish, but I can give you a level select on Aladdin or something along those lines. I mean, Games Master is having a lot of fun in this one. We mentioned it last week. And in this one, he's doing his whole, I can see into the future. I see a venerable, caring figure. I like the shtick, and so if he's going to do that, sure, get the kids doing weird shit as well. Why not? It brightens it up. Yeah, I like Games Master. I was like, I see a caring figure who can give excellent hints. Oh, it's me. Uh, the other thing that made me laugh on this is him calling it the Atari 2600, the Atari 2600. He's British. He's going to use the Queen's English as it was intended. And has also never heard of Atari 2600. Which is amazing, because actually, given the relative age of it and the relative age of Patrick Moore, you'd have thought that would have been the one he would have heard exactly. of. Exactly, but he's just looking at it written down on a teleprompter, and he's, he's just reading what he is seeing. And they didn't think to write it as the words 2600. Yeah. It was a proper Ron Burgundy moment for you, San Diego. <laughs> Games Master, I like the game Z-Wolf. It's really wicked, but I'm not too keen on helicopters. Can you help me, please? Well, you could buy a different game. Alternatively, keep your money in your pocket and enter your password as F-R-A-M-P-A-G-E. And you can start the game as a pilot of a maneuverable but lightly armoured jet fighter. Who's the greatest of them all? Thanks, Games Master. A second kid likes Zeowulf, but hates helicopters. Mate, you have bought the wrong game then. <laughs> I really like Jungle Strike, but I hate the colour green. Can you do something about that? I bought this steak, but I'm a vegetarian. What do I do? Exactly. And unfortunately, if you got that, you don't have a code that will turn it into a jet fighter or turn it into, a, I don't know, a Satan steak or something. I'll be honest, this this hint of, oh, type in the code FRAMPAGE and you get a lightly armoured jet fighter, very lightly armoured. This thing blows up within five seconds of being on screen because it's basically being driven into the ground. Yeah, not a good advert for that. Good advert to stick with the helicopter, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Games Master, on Power Drive, on the Mega Drive, my driving's worse than a two-foot pensioner. Please help. Try this shortcut. On the Great Britain level, as you come out of a sharp left-hand bend in the bottom right of the track, rear off the road through the gap in the trees. You'll find a secret path which dramatically shortens the length of the circuit. How's that, my child? That's great, Games Master. Thanks. And our final lass is terrible at a game that all of our kids a few weeks back were also terrible at on Power Drive. I was, I was thrilled to see Power Drive back on this show because it just brought back all the memories of that challenge and laughing my head off again. The game still looks super fun. Also, I like the joke about 
worst driver than his two-foot pensioner. The first batch of games for Sega's new Saturn console are now gracing Tokyo stores, and like the PlayStation stuff we showed you a couple of weeks ago, most of these games have a distinctly rushed look about them. Things like Tama, another ball-in-a-maze-type game that Japanese pump their nads over, or Mai Yong, a stunning arcade action game which really sets the pulse racing. Hang on a minute, Gale Racer, this seems quite good. On the other hand, maybe not, it looks like a bad Mega Drive game. Wang Chai shows off the full motion video capabilities of the console. This scene shows the head of Sega examining the receipts for the 232Xs sold so far. Now, now, it's no use blaming that guy. Mist is a conversion of the popular PC game, whose appeal has always escaped this balding but ultimately humorous Scottish bloke. While Mystery Mansion is a conversion of an old Mega CD title, it certainly looks a lot better on the Saturn. Mind you, we might as well admit that the Mega CD was poo. Eh? I bet you never thought you'd be grateful for a platform game, but Clockwork Knight really is a cut above the rest. It looks great, it plays well, and it's probably the only game we've seen that'll make it over here when the Saturn is released next year. With the Saturn and PlayStation both now available in Japan, the next generation console war is hotting up. Overall, the PlayStation is better at handling those all-important 3D graphics, but Sega will be pinning their hopes on conversions of their popular arcade titles, of which the awesome but tedious Virtua Fighters is only the first. We had the PlayStation one a few weeks back. Now here is the Sega Saturn one. And we have said throughout Series 4 that it feels like Games Master has picked Saturn as their horse in the next race. You know, they've got the three, they're really high on the 3DO at the moment. The Mega Drive and the SNES are sort of falling to the wayside. They're definitely not on board with the 32X and the Mega CD. But they seem to be really in on the Saturn, particularly Virtua Fighter. But maybe there's some of Dominic Diamond's lines here where it feels like he's starting to sour on the Saturn a little bit because he's not impressed with these games and he kind of makes fun of the, you know, he's there making fun of the 32X. But he makes fun of Virtua Fighter, which is a game the Games Master has been so high on for the past few weeks. I've just got to wonder what's changed. I mean, maybe he's been playing it because we know they've got an import Saturn by this point because they've reviewed Virtua Fighter in the review zone. Yeah, maybe it's just a case of now it's like, actually, this isn't as good as I thought it was. Like, it was very fun at first because it's all shiny and new, but after a while, it doesn't hold up. I mean, we've, we've had it before and I've said it. I don't entirely get on with Virtua Fighter. It's just a bit too floaty for me. I don't like it. Also, maybe he's already seen Tekken. You know, maybe he's like, ooh, that's the thing. Yeah, it could be. Or, you know, he's like, maybe Ridge Racer. Maybe that's actually the game to, to get on board with. He puts over Mystery Mansion saying it's a better version than the Mega CD one. Not hard, that. And then we get to see, I think, a real unsung hero of the Saturn era. And people don't talk about Clockwork Night enough. This game is really, really fun. And it looks great as well. This is the game that looks as good as Donkey Kong Country thought it was going to look. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy Donkey Kong Country a lot. I actually think I like how it looks now more than I did back then. Mm -hmm. I appreciate its style and its structure. And also, to be honest, it looks way better on the Switch's screen than it did on a CRT. 
yeah, I said it. Bite me. I can see what's going on. I played Clockwork Knight quite a bit. When I bought my Saturn uh, when I was a student, I got uh, that with Knight and Bug and Clockwork Knight and Panzer Dragoon. And I play Clockwork Knight so much. It's a really, really good platformer as well. And you can tell it's a good platformer because Dominic Diamond, hater of platform games, he even likes it. And it's amazing that it's so well received because do you know what game served as an influence for this? I don't actually. What was it? Mickey Mania. It really? Designer Katz Sato cited it as an influence on Clockwork Knight. Although I will say, amazingly, when Sega translated it to English for North American and European releases, they made the game harder. That's interesting because it's usually the other way around. Yeah, the producer Dante Anderson said, For some reason, Japanese audiences like to beat their games very quickly, but Americans want more challenge and Europeans like the games tougher still. I don't know what to think of that because there are some Japanese games I play and I'm like, these are hard as nails. Well, that's it. The the story is usually that a game gets released in Japan and then they move over to the Western market and dumb it down because we're not as good as games as the Japanese are. I mean, RPG games, I get that because JRPGs, I mean, there's a reason why JRPG is a thing. Japanese role-playing games are a very different beast to what got released as a Western role-playing game. Now, of course, everything's mishmash mixed together and it's fine. But platformers, Mario, The Lost Levels, Mario Brothers 2, that was Mario Brothers, but way harder. That's what I was about to say. That's the reason why we didn't get Mario 2 as it was in Japan over here, because they were like, you'll never get on with this. It's too hard. But yeah, like Dominic here saying the PlayStation are doing graphics better. Do you think that... He's moving his allegiances across to the newer, shinier thing. Well, he's saying they do 3D graphics better. Which is true. And he mentioned Sega going to pin their hopes on arcade ports, but some of those ports will include fighting games. And the Saturn, particularly with that 2 or 4 meg RAM expansion cart, it does 2D fighters a lot better than the PlayStation. X-Men vs. Street Fighter is so much better on the Saturn than it is on the PlayStation. It absolutely is. I have played it. And I've just, yeah, I've played both versions oh. and the Saturn version just kicks it up. It's so much better. It's incredible because I only had the PlayStation version when I was a kid. So I played the PlayStation version to death because two of my favorite things coming together it was the X-Men and Street Fighter. So yeah, I was all over it like white on rice. And I thought it was amazing. And then I played the Saturn version when I was a student many years later. And I was like, friggin' hell, was this here all the time? This is so much better. Just to go back to a few of the other games that were mentioned in this piece, Gale Racer. Which looks like a bad Mega Drive game, according to Dominic. It was known as Radmobile in the arcade, but it's actually kind of important. It was Sega's first 32-bit game back in 1991. Also features in one of my favourite early 90s Brendan Fraser movies, California Man, or the Americans know Encino Man. But that's how he learns to drive, is through Radmobile. Also... It has a very, very important part in Sega history, more important than it being the first 32-bit title. It's the first on-screen appearance of Sonic the Hedgehog. It certainly is. It's a dangling ornament. Yeah, hanging in the rearview mirror. Appeared five months before the original Sonic the Hedgehog. There's your subliminals. But I wonder if like Dominic's dunking on it here is just because that's a game from 1991. And we know we're nearly in 1995 here now. Also, just to note, that was a great dig at the 32X in the Wan Chi connection. Oh, wasn't it just? Now, Mickey's hands are creeping saucily towards the end of the show. Before they do, let's go over to Games Master and find out what the final challenge is. Actually, I've had enough of challenges for the moment. 
So I decided instead to show you a rather interesting feature I prepared earlier. The internet is urban myth city. You hear about all sorts of exciting things and then spend hours failing to find them. So today, Games Master presses all the right buttons to bring you four new sites for musos and movie lovers. 100,000 Pulp Fiction fans have already visited this, the official website of the hit movie that's becoming a bit cliched now. You can download stuff about the characters and plot and even groovy samples from the soundtrack. Also, if you've got the time, a 30-second clip featuring official fitboard Uma Thurman can be yours. Net cruising music fans will find the best place to log on to is the Internet Underground Music Archive, where you can listen to thousands of bands you've never heard of. Meanwhile, on the Warner Brothers BBS, you can sample new albums by Prince R.E.M. and official unfitboard Madonna. More movie shenanigans. The recently released Nightmare Before Christmas has its own BBS page with features including meet the characters and how they made the actual puppets. And take you to a world where night lasts forever. There's nothing I can do. Unfortunately, there is. Sad, sad Trekkies can argue about minuscule plot quibbles till their anoraks come home on the Star Trek Generations board. Warp one, engage! not to be outdone, Games Master this week launches GameLine, our very own downloading service featuring demos of the biggest PC games coming your way, with the first feature game being David Coulthard's personal favourite, Supercarts. To get your Supercarts demo, connect your modem to 081 Apart from the cost of the call to London, the service is free, but remember to get permission from the bloke who pays the bill. You need a 386 PC with at least 4 megabytes of RAM, and if your modem is 2400 BPS or slower, it'll take such a stupidly long time to download, it's not worth the bother. There'll be a new demo every week, so keep your peepers peeled on future shows for more details. We then have another one of those awkward segues where Dominic says we're going to have a challenge, but Gamesmaster decided we're not having a challenge, we're having another feature. And that feature is the internet. Oh, that old thing. <laughs> Never takes off. Yeah. I mean, this is real infancy internet type stuff here, like the official webpage and stuff. It was wonderful unfortunately it's not there anymore because a, a new film dared to get released but the space jam website was that awesome time capsule of what the internet used to look like this is what websites looked before the space jam website which is even more tremendous to see and also i love that you know if you've got a home assistant or an echo or something try throwing this at it saying hey alexa what was the internet like before proper search engines and indexing? Because that's where we're at. You would be more likely to find a website you wanted by reading about it in a magazine or having it mentioned on Games Master than trying to search for it. Dom's right. You hear about all these cool things on the internet, but if you don't have the right web address, you're sod out of luck. Here, can you imagine Pulp Fiction's official website? Now, Luke, ideal world, you want to go to Pulp Fiction's official website. What would you type into a web browser address bar? You'd have thought it'd be something like pulpfiction.com. Not musicbase.co.uk forward slash movie forward slash pulp. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're never going to find it that way, which is, it's so remarkable to see. I mean, to be honest, that web address, I thought it'd be more likely to be about Jarvis Cocker. <laughs> yeah. And also, and I, I love this as well. This is Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is out in, oh, it's been out in cinemas already because we are in the year of 1994. But you can download 30-second clips of the movie that are probably awful, awful frame rate and stuff that would like it would make the mega CD would go like, try a little bit, mate. But it's cool. You can download 30-second clips of a movie that's currently out in cinemas. And it will only take two and a half hours. 
you'll be waiting for ages to see a tiny 30 second clip of that. The Internet uh, Underground Music Archive is a bit cooler. It's still very much a you are going to be waiting a long time and you are not necessarily going to know if you're going to like what you're going to see or hear. But it's kind of a nifty thing. It's basically lots of music from unsigned artists. And I did check, and you can throw some of these addresses into archive.org and find them, not necessarily how they looked in December 94, but you can get some snapshots from 95 or 96. Yeah. I mean, I was I was into this one anyway because there was I could see Dinosaur Juniors without a sound on that page, and I was like, oh, that's cool because that's because I love Dinosaur Junior. But meanwhile, Warner Brothers has musicians you have heard of that you can sample, including official unfit bird Madonna, which is a throwback to the mention in Pulp Fiction because Uma Thurman is officially a fit bird. Speaking of other big releases that we have got coming up in our timeline, Star Trek Generations which we do get as a number one film next year, I'm pretty sure. We do. I checked this. We get it for five goddamn weeks. Well earned as well, I would say. Absolutely, because Dom Dunk's on it here, and it's fair enough. I was a very nerdy teenager. I kind of accept that. I'm still nerdy now, but now being nerdy is cool. Oh, exactly. Like the Skoda, uh, it's just fun to dunk on Star Trek in the 90s. It's like it's just for Trekkies, isn't it? I just feel like I got compared to a Skoda, and I don't know how I feel <laughs> about that. But anyway, this film and this website doesn't matter, mate. Number one for five weeks. It's not just Trekkies holding it there. Casuals kept that film at number one for five weeks. Casuals that watched Next Gen on BBC Two, and casuals that grew up watching the original Star Trek or went to see the other movies. That's it. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. It's put it on the poster like that's going to draw. It's like this is Picard and it's Kirk. And they're going to go face to face. And make omelettes. <laughs> I don't think that's what people thought the film was going to be. <laughs> Mate, no one thought that film was going to be the film it's going to be. It, it is sadly going to be one of our between season films. So it will get mentioned during the recap of 1995 episode we do. I'm definitely going to rewatch it before then. It's been a long time since I watched Generations. It's not the worst. It's not uh, easily not the it's worst. It's not five. It's not the final frontier. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not final frontier. It is not um, insurrection, which is real bad. The insurrection is cheap looking. It's a great double length TV episode. That's the problem. It's not a film. But Luke, we've just spent a lot of time talking about all these other things that other people have made that we can promote. Surely Games Master should have something to shill at us that's of their own creation. Well, they do. Games Master have got a download demo service. Like, they've got the first ever Discord server. They have got uh, all this other gubbins that you can do. And now you can download demos of PC games. This is the forefront of the future of entertainment and stuff. And I love the fact that Games Master are right there at the start of this. It's that demo of Supercarts that we mentioned earlier. And we do get some technical bump that you'll have just heard. And it's basically, if you don't have a modem this fast, don't bother, mate. You will be waiting days. No one will be able to call you. You won't be able to call anyone else. You may as well just wait until it appears on the demo disc. Exactly, because the, the other key to this is that, yes, the demo is free, but the phone call to London is not which also makes me realise that they were doing this in a really early way. It's not even a case of old national rate number. It's like, no, you're calling a London number, mate. You're calling the future offices, basically. I wonder how many people could connect at once. 
couldn't have been that many. I mean, I don't know to be honest. I'm not. I'm not. I, I wasn't a tech head in the in the mid '90s, so I don't really know. I'm not a tech head now. I, I, I was, but I didn't have a modem at this point, so I couldn't tell you. If anyone out there listening remembers this and has any memories or information on it, please reach out. We'd love to cover it either in the season wrap up or. Just moving forward, it's interesting stuff. Well, that's it for another show. I'm off to loosen the heels on cowboy boots everywhere. See you later. Bye-bye. What an absolute rotter he is. Absolutely. Although this will maybe chuckle. Better than sand in your ice cream, put it that way. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Ash, what did you make of it? This is another episode where I'm trying to separate the fun I had talking about it versus the actual enjoyment of the episode. Yep. Yeah, Twisted was kind of fun. It was always going to be a difficult challenge, but I actually do genuinely applaud them for the way they brought it together and they made it work. I thought that was, for 1994, that was a very smart way to do it, to basically hook yourselves onto the in-game presenter and, and run with it. Did it work perfectly? No. Could they have done it better in 94? Probably not. So... It gets a thumbs up for me on that front because while it, I try and view it in the context of 1994 as well, yeah. I'm just like, man, the way they tied that together, that would have blown my mind in 1994. Yeah. That was like, man, the game's interacting with them. I wouldn't have quite passed that this was actually just very clever editing. And you got to applaud them for the effort as well. Moving on to the news, we really didn't even talk about Sequest DSV. It was all Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't even me. That was you. I had to drag it back to DSV. Jurassic Park didn't even get a fucking look in. There's another Jurassic Park on the way, by the way. And that could apply to 1994 or now. And I did have a lot of fun covering that Dalek footage because it, it is an important little clip. I am still amazed, actually, in retrospect, that that clip got out, that that clip was released and given to people because... Yeah, they were still trying to sell Doctor Who at that point. It was far from a done deal. And the fact that we're still two years off of a TV movie being released kind of shows that. Celebrity Challenge was a letdown. And I hate that it was because it shouldn't have been. Reviews were fine enough. But I mean, really, it was Bloodshot that made it, really, because it was such an odd and interesting game. But Wolverine and Zero, the Kamikaze Grey Squirrel, it wasn't great. Consultation Zone was fun. The, the pitfall banter made it and the appearance of power drive made it and actually i suppose a kid going i've made a terrible mistake i don't like helicopters but i've got a helicopter game i thought this was a werewolf game because it's called z wolf and, and to be honest when you look at the uh option screen that it shows for the code it doesn't look like a helicopter game it certainly doesn't saturn launch great piece but again we got the same problem as we did last week and i think maybe it's hit me a bit harder this week than it hit me last week I would have actually done these features the other way around. Yeah. I'd have come out the consultation zone onto the website feature and then ended off, hey guys, we've got a Saturn launch piece. That would have been a more upbeat way to end the episode. This is an episode where I have thoroughly enjoyed recapping it and talking about it with you because it is a fantastic snapshot of the time. It's an episode that opens with a joke about Pamela Anderson and it ends with early internet and you've got to connect through a modem and you can't download it if you don't have a good enough modem. The phone call to London and this, that and the other. Star Trek Generations and all this. It was like, it was a wonderful snapshot in time, but it's, you know, the launch of the Saturn. But it's again, it's that disjointed nature of it that kind of like throws you off a little bit. I agree with you, actually. Flipping that around might not have affected this too much because you could have ended with the Saturn. But it is also an episode where the news and the features have made up for the games playing not being that great because although the, the integration with twisted is very good 
it's not kind of it's not great games playing stuff it's not a good challenge for games master other than the fact that dominic loves the 3do it would have been a bit better if they'd won one apiece and we went down to a tiebreaker rather than to be honest the result being a bit of a botch exactly yeah and like poor david coulthard like he's it's games playing is not one of his fortes he is a formula one driver and i think he does yeah he was very good as an interview though so i'm in a position where it's i don't think this was as good as last week's episode and i didn't like last week's episode much so i'm in the 70s again i'm in mid 70s i'm going to go about 77 percent on this if i'm being a hard-ass bastard on myself and i'm going to review it just based on the episode and not how much fun i had nerding out about various things i'm actually going to go lower than you i'm going to go with 74 i think that's completely fair like you know i said last week that this show the series hasn't been my favorite series thus far and that maybe just because the show is becoming a different beast these last couple of episodes have felt very disjointed thankfully i can spoil it if you think i'm being super down Next week's show is a hand is a load of fun. That's a really, really fun show next week. What I liked about this was that it's, it's time capsule nature of being a wonderful snapshot in time. But I think that's going to wrap it up. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media. We are at underconsolepod on Twitter, at under.console on Instagram. And you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want a bit of real-time interaction, you want to chat with us, chat with other listeners, chat with fans of Underconsultation, Games Master, gaming and pop culture in general, you can join our Underconsultation Discord details of which can be found in the show notes or on our social media and you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under pod where you'll get access to ucp extra which is this show format but about other tv shows in the 90s recently we have done raggy dolls which was a hell of a lot of fun I'm saying this before we've actually recorded it. You also get access to our monthly show, Under Console Nation, which is our community podcast, getting together and having a bit of a chat. At the £5 level, you get next week's show one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? With the £10 level, you get our Patreon merch pack, which includes a Patreon-exclusive mug, Patreon-exclusive badges and stickers, retro sweeties retro power ranger trading cards and five pound off our under consultation t-shirt which can be bought along with other badges stickers and mugs at our website underconsultation.com and a shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william simon sean sarah robert richard rich nick misha maddie clark kevin jamie gordon david palmer david fisher darkside 73 cliff foster adam d and colin and I just want to say, as you will no doubt be aware, as we mentioned last week and as has been all over social media, by the time you hear this, there is a more than likely probability that Luke Owen will be Luke Owen DAD. Indeed, yeah, I won't actually be around. No, we will have actually finished recording all of Series 4 before Luke becomes a dad. So if you become a £10 Patreon after like the 31st of August. Sorry, you might not hear your name at the end for a little while. We are just getting all of these in the can as quickly as possible because, yeah, I'm not going to see much of this dude for two months. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see much of any anyone. I'm not going to see much of anything at all, really, apart from pooey diapers. Uh, so, yeah, so please do bear with us when it comes to our Patreon and stuff, but we will endeavour to get your name read out at some point. But that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode because ho, 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 am I feeling festive for next week's episode, Ash, in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.